Hello, welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker. Kentucky Derby preview time. Who better to go over all the runners than long-standing NBC Sports broadcaster as well as Saratoga Live host Lafitte Pinkai III. He's attended the first leg of the Triple Crown for many a decade and his impeccable knowledge of each and every derby field and result are second to none. Rumour goes he has a foul on each and every runner and will happily share his insight with us today. Lafitte, I'm so glad to have you on Talk Racing once again. I do believe you were one of my first guests when I just started over a year ago. How are you doing today? I wasn't the first? No. <laughs> That's disappointing. I thought I remember you telling me I was the first guest and that was kind of the, the, the lure. Oh, really? To, to, to be Actually, you were the first proper <laughs> in-depth guest. I had some news no, items that, that, we, to show we both before. Know, we both know that's a lie. I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm so glad you're back on again. And this time to talk about a, a race that you're very familiar with. That's also the reason I'm getting you on. Because if anyone is a walking uh, encyclopedia about the Kentucky Derby, I feel like it's you. But let's discuss what happened to the Triple Crown last year. Just ever so briefly, we had the, the Belmont Stakes shifting from June 6th to June 20th. Uh, the Kentucky Derby moved from May 2nd to September 5th. So obviously Belmont was now first. And then the Preakness Stakes moved from May 16th to October 3rd. What did that year look like for you? And as a broadcaster, because you, you do uh, cover the horses on NBC Sports, this must have been you know, trying to figure everything out. Uh, there's so much there. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up and started there because I, I hope that now that we're back on a regular schedule, that everybody really appreciates this year's Triple Crown from that perspective, that we're, it's a step in the right direction. We're getting back to normal. I don't know how many people will be at Churchill Downs for the Derby. I don't know if it'll be 30,000, 40,000, whatever it will be. It'll feel like 300,000 compared to what it was last year and how bizarre it was to be at Churchill for the Derby with nobody there. Um, the shakeup of the order of the races, as you mentioned, um, it was, um, you recognize what the crowd and the fans and the energy they bring, how much of the event they represent. And, and, and without it, we're fortunate as a sport that we had a triple crown while so many other major sporting events were canceled. We're fortunate um, but at the same time, uh, it was it was very different. And once we are back at, at full capacity, and maybe that's not this year, but looking ahead to the future, hopefully we appreciate it that much more and the ability to to gather and enjoy the, these incredible events and some of the most important events in our sport. And of course, because of the race's shifting dates, we lost that five-week span that the Triple Crown is known for, you know, May 1st, May 15th this year, and then June 5th, two weeks and three weeks in between. How glad are you to, to get that back? And how do you reflect on horses having run in those races without, you know, the different weeks in between? Because it, it is key, isn't it? I think it's harder 
when before American Pharaoh, there was an argument that the Triple Crown had become too difficult and there was no way one single horse could win those three races in five weeks. And there was proposed discussion of spreading the events out a little bit. And if you'll notice, typically you have the Kentucky Derby. The winner is going to run in the Preakness, but so often is the case. Horses that run second, third, fourth, fifth, very often, trainers and owners don't want to come back in two weeks. And, and the competition for the Preakness will be a little bit softer than it would be otherwise. When you spread the races out, I think for the Derby winner, trying to vie for a Triple Crown, it's if the races were spread out farther, I do think it would be more difficult because of the level of competition in the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes. Um, I am a traditionalist, possibly to a fault, so I'm I'm excited to see it back to its five week window as it's as it's supposed to be. Um, so again, a, a return to normal, I think, is the is the emphasis and uh, something that resembles what our traditional Triple Crown looks like. But from a there's different ways to argue what is more challenging for an individual racehorse. It's my opinion. The way it is right now, um, again, spreading it out wouldn't make things any easier just from a competition standpoint. No, you're very right. That will, of course, the last leg of the Triple Crown last year, which was the Preakness, was an absolute showdown between a horse of the year authentic three-year-old Philly champion Swiss Skydiver. And that was, of course, because there was spacing between the races. I don't know which horses we would have seen if that wouldn't have been the case, but let's start with looking ahead towards this year how will the nbc sports broadcast look like this year for you well i haven't um obviously it's it's still we're still a couple of weeks out um so there isn't a a rundown in place so that i know exactly i have an idea of what some of the the highlights will be in terms of features and stories and there are so many and there's so much parity amongst the horses themselves. I think a big, wide-sweeping, broad-stroke approach will be the difference um, between last year and this year. The fact that this will be the second Kentucky Derby in eight months. Uh, protocol, the, the, the fans that, that will be there and have a chance to attend. Um, and naturally, uh, from a storytelling standpoint, uh, the people around Essential Quality, the, the likely morning line favorite, Many layers. You start with Godolphin and Sheikh Mohammed. The idea that since Godolphin has started racing in North America, what a focal point the Kentucky Derby has been. The emphasis on this particular goal, so much so there, there's been a book written about it from the desert to the Derby. Godolphin has run 12 horses in the uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, the next one to hit the board would be the first. I believe Frosted is the best finish, having finished fourth behind eventual Triple Crown winner, American Pharaoh. Uh, the story of Louis Saez, the jockey who knows what it feels like to win a Kentucky Derby, but he's never won a Kentucky Derby, disqualified two years ago on maximum security, a chance at redemption for him. And for Brad Cox, first horse he will have ever started in a Kentucky Derby for a Louisville-born trainer. Again, I know we've, we've told this story in the past, but it's, it's significant and worth noting that no Louisville-born trainer on record has ever won a Kentucky Derby in, in that, that could change if essential quality remains undefeated. That's a staggering stat there that no Louisville native has ever won the Kentucky Derby and the fact that Brad Cox have never had a runner before. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it will be his first, possibly having, uh, you know, two runners in there, maybe Mandaloon, Cato River. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Are you going to be roaming around or will you be on the desk on the day? 
uh, we're reporting for both days, uh, Oaks and, and Derby. Um, I'm still, we'll see if I'm, again, there's COVID protocol. I'm not sure if I'll be in the jocks room or on the jocks balcony last year. For obvious reasons, I couldn't uh, enter uh, the jocks room and the jockeys were separated in four different locations. You had three makeshift jockeys rooms and, and, and then the one main uh, jocks room. Again, I'm not familiar with, with what that protocol exactly will look like, but um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be bothering the guys in the, uh, wearing the white pants for, for a couple of days. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be happy to see you. Uh, let's dive right into your expert knowledge on, on this year's contenders. Uh, do you have to ask, have you been working on your extensive files, uh, every runner laid out? Absolutely. You, you, you have to, I think my goal, and I don't know that you ever quite achieve it, but for me, it's if you bump into somebody in the airport on the way to the event, who has any affiliation whatsoever with the horse running in the marquee race, that you can have a conversation with that person as if the horse was your own without looking at past performances, without checking notes. And for me, that that's when I feel prepared. I know in the past when I have bumped into somebody, and I'm, God, I, I don't know as much about this horse as I should. There's almost this, this sense of, of anxiety that even though you've absorbed all this material and so much material is generated these days with the with the different websites and the trades and the, the the radio shows that there's so much to absorb and so much information out there it's almost too much information it's very difficult to get a grasp on everything but that's that's that that is the goal i like the example that you use it because i've definitely bumped into people at the airport and indeed you want to have that knowledge sort of at the front of your brain ready to tap into it at any moment without having to look anything up uh, it's a test it's a test it right? is the it, connections appreciate it i, I bumped I, I had had dinner with mike smith last night and we were, midnight bourbon came up and i god i don't know enough about midnight bourbon i have to go back and do a little bit more Research now. I didn't look at him as closely in the last couple of days because I did a lot of a, a deeper dive just before and just after the Louisiana Derby. But I was—it's a perfect example. Just like I don't—I—I'm not quite as familiar with him. Of course, the broad strokes, like we know where he's raced and the races he's won and how well he ran in the Louisiana Derby. But mm -hmm. can you have that in-depth conversation with somebody who knows everything about this horse right now, two weeks out? No, not yet. I have more work to do. All right. Well, I hope you've done a bit of work, good enough to, to get us going here on the, the Kentucky <laughs> Derby leaderboard. But we've already mentioned uh, Central Quality is the first port of call. The two-year-old champ, super flexible in terms of his running style. He can be well on the pace or off it. Uh, he's unbeaten and he seems to get even better with distance. And as per Brad Cox... Uh, on JK Plus One, plug here for JK Plus One, he was saying that this was his Belmont horse. I think, yeah, I think that's where also Brad Cox mentioned that at some point we could see his two-time champion take on the boys at some point, running in the Apple Blossom this weekend. Monomoy Girl, that was a, that was another plug for for JK's mm -hmm. podcast. Um, you, you know, I don't think you watch Essential Quality and you're left fishing for adjectives to describe his brilliance. But you can't, you cannot fault him. If you don't like essential quality, it's because you don't like the favorite in the Derby. You just don't, you just don't like it. 
but there's no logical reason. So first off, he debuted on the undercard of the Kentucky Derby last September. I don't know if this has ever been done. I can't imagine there's been any or many horses that have debuted Kentucky Derby Day and come back the following year to win a Kentucky Derby. I know these are extreme circumstances because the Derby was in September. He overcame, go back and watch his debut. He overcame trouble, significant trouble. So right off the bat, you know he can handle adversity. Mm-hmm. And then the Breeders' Futurity right on top of the pace. And then adapting to a hot pace in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And then a wet track in the Southwest. So there was one lingering question with essential quality. How will he respond when another quality racehorse looks him in the, in, in, in the eye and it's time to fight? It, it is time to, to, to throw down. How will he respond when a horse race turns into a dogfight? And we saw how he responded. More than willing to fight. Put away highly motivated and went about his business to, to keep his perfect record intact. There, there he checks every box. He really does. Would you say that that bluegrass was his toughest race to date? I think so. I think so. I'd have to go back and look at the margins, but highly motivated has to be the closest any horse has come to beating him, yes? Yes, yes, by neck. Yeah, I think the closest yeah. before that was uh, three-quarter lengths, so Hot Rod Charlie, which we'll mm-hmm. discuss next because I'm just, sure. as you might be able to tell, I'm just rattling off here from the Kentucky Derby leaderboard, which doesn't mean that that's my preference. Just points-wise for ease of us kind of running through these horses i thought we'd uh, keep it structured here but essential quality basically as you mentioned not that much to knock on an unbeaten incredibly flexible colt bread if you don't like it it's because you're like i don't want the favorite which i want to beat the favorite perhaps that, you, right but 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 somehow the Kentucky, the, the most difficult race to win in the world has become the easiest to predict we went without a favorite winning from 1980 until 99. There was a 20-year sample. Favorites were blanked, right? Spectacular bid between he and Fusaichi Pegasus. Since then, favorites are hitting at a ridiculous clip. And that's not including Barbaro, who should have been favored. Sweet Northern Saint wound up favored. Like a truckload of money showed up on him late. Barbaro was not favored. Maximum Security was favored throughout most of the wagering. Improbable wound up favored. And Maximum Security wound up disqualified. For whatever reasons, the race has become much more formful. So that that period of which favorites really struggled, and who's the favorite? Just toss them. No, this has become an extraordinarily formful race, and it should be. The Derby, the most important race in North America, arguably the world, should not be a crapshoot. No, you're, you're correct there. Possibly if you want to knock essential quality ever so slightly, you can argue that he isn't the horse that has the top speed figure in the race. There are actually, I do believe, two, maybe more horses that have run higher buyers than essential quality have. Do you give that any weight? Yeah, that's where the, again, he's not, brilliant is not an adjective. Like, life is good was brilliant. Kooky and did a lot of weird stuff on the track and, and wound up Wound up not, you know, hopefully we look forward to seeing him before long. He has the injury and his sideline. He'll miss the triple crown. He was the brilliant one. And on speed figures, it looked mm-hmm. like a mismatch. And now we have a much more, I, I look forward to seeing life is good. And I hope he fulfills his potential. Um, but, you know, like when we went back in 2015 and Baffert had American Pharaoh and Dortmund, it almost felt like a foregone conclusion that Baffert's going to win the Derby. It's just a matter of, of with who. And I, that's, I felt like we were headed in that direction with life is good 
with concert tour and, and Medina spirit. And that's, that's, that's not, that's not the case anymore. I think parody for the event itself going in, I think is, is makes for a better event. And Bob Baffert might not agree, um, but I think that that type <laughs> of, of he wide open nature, yeah, it, it, it feels, uh, it feels like um, it's a little bit that there are other, that there, there isn't a monopoly on, on the Derby going in. You know, I don't feel like that's the case at all. As we move on to the second horse on the list, Hot Rod Charlie, of course, by Preakness winner Oxbow. He had enough speed uh, to get himself out of a bit of a tight Louisiana Derby start, which obviously bodes well for him. You want a horse that can kind of navigate a, a little bit of bumping around. Didn't hang about up front either. And I thought this was interesting because, of course, Hot Rod Charlie also ran in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. was actually a smidgen closer to the pace than essential quality in that race and got, only got overturned by less than a length. That was sort of the second closest to anyone have ever gotten to essential quality ever since the bluegrass then. So, yeah. And there's always going to be, it feels like there's a little bit of a stigma around hot rod Charlie because what, what was, he, was he 94 to one or something crazy? In the, yeah, in, he, in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile? Yeah, fight. he was 95 to one, 94.40. So because of it, that's, he's the flu course. It was horse, you know, there, there had to be a reason that he was that price. And all he's done is, has come back and put forth, you know, some extraordinarily just good, solid performances and continuing to improve, even though it took him X amount of starts to break his maiden to graduate. He was still running very well against some highly regarded two-year-olds and now three-year-olds. But you look at the damage he's done around two turns and dirt. Who's who's finished in front of him? I think one of them may have been... Medina Spirit. One of them was Medina Spirit. Did he finish uh, behind Life is Good at one point? No, he never faced Life is Good. No. Yeah, Medina Spirit. Aside from that, um, he's done everything, everything asked of him. Um, I think he's turned out to be one of the, he's exceeded expectation. Doug O'Neill's already won the Kentucky Derby twice. Um, now he has Flavian Pratt. And as I understand, that wasn't necessarily a case of Joel Rosario choosing concert tour over, over Hot Rod Charlie. It, you know, Doug O'Neill wanted, wanted, he wanted a, he wanted a commitment mm-hmm. and he didn't want to hang Flavian Pratt up. So they wind up with Pratt now. In the saddle, another terrific story, because yes, here's a jockey who's won a Kentucky Derby, but don't you think Pratt wants to experience it to win a Kentucky Derby outright, to actually cross the wire in front and have that moment of celebration as opposed to a half an hour later celebrating because another horse was qualified? It's different. Like, it's exciting. He's a Kentucky Derby winning jockey, but it's not the same. It's not the same. And here he is back with a chance to maybe win one outright. And and the story with the the ownership group is, is... Unbelievable, with the the nephew of 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 Doug O'Neill, Patrick O'Neill, and the, the first owner that he and it's it's not just college buddies. They were were teammates on a football team. They, they're fraternity brothers, and here they are with the first horse I believe they've ever been affiliated with. One of the favorites going to the Kentucky Derby. They just call him Chuck, not Hot Rod Charlie. They just call him Chuck, um, and they're this really fun group and I, there's going to be such a dichotomy when you talk about the walkover and the owners and and whoever may be representing Judmont and the representation of Godolphin and some Kentucky blue bloods who have been doing this for 
decades and God knows how long trying to win a Kentucky Derby. And here's these five like college frat boys, you know, like doing a, you know, a keg stand. You know, but isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. Everyone being allowed. Absolutely. In. That's exactly what it's about. And for somebody at home watching saying that could be me like that, yeah. that, that could be me. It's a, it's, it's a great story. Well, talking about great stories, um, I'll give you the honest of talking about the next horse in Superstock because that that was kind of heartwarming as well. Un unreal. Owned by Steve Asmussen's mom and dad, and co-owned also with uh, George Strait's uh, longtime manager. Um, this is a horse that, as a result of the pandemic, this has come together. Uh, there's so many layers to this story. He was actually entered in a Texas two-year-old in training sale, a sale that was canceled because of the pandemic. Otherwise, he's sold. Wow. Uh, the only uh, Keith Asmussen, uh, Steve's son, rode him only because classes had been canceled. He physically was able to be there and ride the horse because they were classes were on. The school had been, you know, there was they're doing online classes. Um, all as a result, we are not having this conversation about Superstock and the story of the family and the Asmussen family, um, if not if not for the pandemic, which which leads you to believe that maybe it's that's when you start talking derby gods and fate. And even Steve Asmussen, I listened to him in an interview earlier this week. He's he he made a reference of you know that the, the, he feels like the, the stars are aligning. And and even though you can talk about speed figures with super stock and he really still needs to improve and so on and so forth. Um, this is one of those situations where if, if super stock winds up in the, in the Kentucky Derby winner circle, I think everyone, and it would be a satisfying win for everyone to witness because, because of the story and the, the bond of the family and what this moment would mean for the Asmussen family. Of course, Steve Asmussen has never won a Derby either. Right. I believe at this stage, 21 or 22 starts. I'm not quite, don't know, we're on record. Somewhere in there, he is the tr at the trainer, the dubious record of the trainer with most starts, never having won a Kentucky Derby. He's been close, two seconds, I believe. Um, Nero was second to Animal Kingdom. He was second with looking at Lee behind Always Dreaming and then two-thirds with two monsters. Third with with Curlin after a poor start, not that he was going to beat Street Sense at Churchill Downs, and then third with eventual superstar gunrunner um, in 2016. It's not a record anyone wants to be the holder of, that's for sure. Let's talk about the horse itself, though. Benefited a concert tour in Caddo River pace setup and was produced at exactly the right time, but did beat them by two and a half. It wasn't just a neck, I just got there kind of thing. He did solidly beat them. Yeah, the speed figure is gonna is gonna is of concern. It's yeah, slower it's Fire. one of the slower derby preps and specifically mm -hmm. for a for an Arkansas Derby. And I think that if not for the Asmussen story, I think many may have walked away saying, okay, was this more about Superstock winning? or concert tour losing because concert tour just didn't that's not concert tour it's hard to make the argument that it's the distance i mean he's, he's by a kentucky derby winner he's by street sense so why would the distance be an issue the pace was hot 
Caddo River went fast. You knew that they were going to sell out to make the lead. Um, concert tour seemed comfortable enough sitting just off him. Engaged Caddo River. And right when you think he's going to switch over and, and, and find a fifth gear, he, he didn't. Yeah. And Baffert has said it's, it's head scratching. Great ride Santana. Had him a little bit closer. Saved every inch of ground. Uh, went around them and, and, and blew right by. Uh, part of it, race shape aided. Part of it... Um, we're not seeing the best of concert tour and, and super stock really improving. If he can improve as much as he did from the rebel to the Arkansas Derby and have another forward move similar from the Arkansas Derby to the Kentucky Derby, don't, uh, don't, don't sell him short. How much value do we attribute to horses moving forward into that last prep and horses moving backwards, such as super stock taking a next step and concert tour disappointing to what we were expecting from him how much weight do we give that so the, the every horse is an individual and this year has nothing to do with last year and last year has nothing to do with the year before that but there is a recent trend where horses that lose their final preps do not win the Kentucky Derby that wasn't the case prior as we discussed all those all those favorites that, that kept losing um Obviously, they were favorites and coming in off, off big winning efforts. And for whatever reasons, uh, in that time frame from 80 until 2000, failed. Since Super Saver in 2010, uh, the only horse to have won a Kentucky Derby without winning their final prep is Country House, who won via disqualification. The rest, and that's that's Animal Kingdom, that's I'll Have Another, that's Orb, that's California Chrome, Pharaoh, Nyquist, Always Dreaming, uh, Justify, and then when did we have the disqualification? I'm missing someone. I am missing someone. Always Dreaming, Justify, who was in 19? Oh yeah, so Justify and then the disqualification, mm -hmm. and, and even last year with Authentic, Having won the Haskell before the Kentucky Derby, horses in their final preps are, are winning those races. We haven't seen a lot of bounce back where a horse comes in as a heavy favorite in a prep, falls short like Concert did, Concert Tour did, and then rebound. That hasn't been the, the recent trend. That doesn't mean Concert Tour can't turn things around. And if anyone can figure it out, it's going to be Bob Baffert, as he said, head scratching performance. So in terms of Horses trending in one direction or the other. If you were a big concert tour fan, yeah, you feel less less confident off of that effort. And with super stock for Asmussen, um, I still think there are reservations. I still think there's a question as to whether or not he's good enough and how good the race is going to turn out to be. But he's trending in in the right in the right direction with another forward move. I think he's he's one that you have to you definitely have to take a closer look at. Oh, well, you certainly have discouraged people from backing concert tour with your giving all these terrific stats. Uh, it's it's certainly something to keep in mind to look at these trends. Uh, move on to the next horse on the list, which is like the king, the Jeff Ruby Stakes winner. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. At that all weather form to me, and also looking at speed figures, isn't going to be good enough. Yeah, for every Animal Kingdom that wins that race. There's 50 others you, you, you don't remember, right? Mm. Um, 
I think that there, there's a question as to whether or not like the King was even best on the afternoon. I think that the, the Windstar Colt, whose name eludes me, um, to me looked like the better prospect and probably will run in the Derby as well. Sainthood? Um, I wasn't Sainthood, who I think is still, and again, and it's odd, it's odd because in, in you're, you're hesitant to use this phrase in the midst of a pandemic, but Derby fever doesn't seem to be as contagious as it has been in times past where horses with enough points, owners and trainers just to go and experience the Derby, they, they, they go. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing several horses that do have enough points to qualify um, that are either waiting for the Preakness or just know the horse isn't good enough or waiting for another spot. Um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't smelling any roses after this year's edition of the Rich Ruby. Yeah, neither did I. So we'll move on to a, a colt that I'm actually quite excited about. Known Agenda, trained by Todd Pletcher. He toppled uh, Fountain of Youth winner Greatest Honor, uh, as well actually Soup and Sandwich in second there. But mid-pack made make quite an aggressive move on the turn and took the lead coming into that short uh, Gulfstream Park stretch. Gunning towards the wire is by Preakness and Classic winner Curlin. I, I like what I saw in the Florida Derby. Absolutely. And the Florida Derby has been, you know, this window of 35 days. It, the Florida Derby used to feed into the wood and the bluegrass. It wasn't a, it wasn't a final. It was a more of a semifinal, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Stronic Group, and understandably so, much like the Santa Anita Derby was a final prep. They they wanted to be the the Florida Derby to be a final Derby prep, but. Where are you going to have it? 35 days out, that's no man's land. You can't possibly win a Kentucky Derby off 35 days off, and, and it, there's not enough room to squeeze in another prep. You had to go back to the, the you know, 1917, 1918, something crazy to find the last horse that had been off 35 days and then won a Kentucky Derby. His name was Exterminator. And then they went ahead and changed it, and Barbaro came around. And Big Brown came around. And then... Or won the Florida Derby and the Kentucky Derby. There have been you know, Nyquist in 2016, always dreaming Todd Pletcher 2017. This the Florida Derby has been extraordinarily productive, and specifically for Pletcher, as I mentioned, with with, with always dreaming. So that has been a the the golden prep in in recent memory. And known agenda seems to be coming around at just the right time. I don't know if it was simply the addition of blinkers. Or just the the natural progression, as, as Richard Migliori so often discusses on, on America's Day at the Races, um, how much horses change from the fall of their two-year-old season to the spring of their three-year-old season and how quickly they develop. And I think that's a big part of known agenda, just kind of peaking at the right time. Pletcher's kind of compared him to Vino Rosso. Vino Rosso, who spun his wheels in a couple of races at Tampa Bay Downs and the Sam Davis and the Sam, Tampa Bay Derby. Um, I think Known Agenda is actually, he feels like a better prospect uh, to me. Um, very difficult to fault. He's, he's arriving with a head full of steam, with a lot of momentum. Todd Pletcher talks about him. Todd's pretty, plays things close to the best. You can hear the the enthusiasm. And for, for Vinny Viola, yeah, he was a co-owner and always dreaming. This is different. This is different. There are many homebreds, by the way. I want to say like 11 right now that have enough points to run in the Kentucky Derby. This is a horsey mm-hmm. bred. The, the difference and he you know he's a the owner of the of the florida panthers and a sports franchise for people associated with sports teams whether it's fans or a general manager or an owner it's different when you're winning championships with a bunch of high money free agents and winning with homegrown products 
winning with with kids that you watched develop through your system, who you helped develop. And for Viola, again, already the co-owner of a Kentucky Derby winner, but having bred this colt, it's that much more sentimental. It means a little bit more. And, and what an incredible opportunity to go to the Derby with a serious contender, a homebred. Oh, I'm certain he'll be very nervous come that first Saturday in May. We were talking a little bit about this in terms of jockeys. There are a fair few jockeys in here that have never won the Kentucky Derby. Uh, how much do you think that's going to add to Irad Ortiz being, you know, aggressive and wanting to make sure that he gets a proper shot at it once again? Every jockey, for the most part, will tell you that that's that's the dream is is to win is to win a Derby. Um, anyone who who bumps into a rider, and I, and I remember just growing up with my father, and anybody who might strike up a conversation with a stranger who knows very little about horse racing. The one race they know is the Kentucky Derby. Have you ever won the Kentucky Derby? Oh, wow. It's like a, like a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. So for Irad, uh, for everything he's accomplished in a very short period of time, as young as he is and talented as he is, if, if I was predicting the future, it wouldn't be a matter of when does, you know, Irad Ortiz, will Irad Ortiz win a Kentucky Derby? It's, it's when and how many. And I, and I think that, and I haven't looked back at his previous mounts, but I, I would assume, no, he actually, I think he did actually ride a improbable for Baffert, who wound up favored in the Derby. And, and, and obviously, I think he ran fourth or somewhere in that fifth, maybe. Um, but one of the best chances he's ever had to win a Derby, rode him beautifully in the, in the Florida Derby. And uh, I mean, he's, he's one of the very best in, in the world at, at what he does. And um he will. This is a, a huge opportunity for him to to register his first Derby win. Agreed. As we'll go through the list, furthermore, uh, Rebels Romance uh, is pointing towards the Belmont. I do believe would have been uh, a Godolphin interest going in here, winner of the UAE Derby. But we know that the UAE Derby, as a prep, hasn't really garnered many results yet. Not not yet. Um, is so we're still kind of waiting on on Panadol, yes there's no I haven't heard anything just yet. not as of not as of the last time I checked which was a couple of days ago I can talk really slowly and you can talk about the next horse but no <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, ju- I just wonder I wonder if Rebels Romance would be going for Godolphin if not for essential quality uh for Godolphin that you know proxy his his he, he's been disappointing, I think it's fair to say, and really hasn't progressed in his last couple of starts. But if not for essential quality, would we be seeing? Would we see Rebels Romance? So I, I just pulled it up yeah. on Thursday morning. That this was tweeted out four hours ago. That's why I hadn't seen it yet. Officials were notified that UE Derby runner-up Panadol would not travel to the US Will to compete okay. in the Kentucky Derby. So there yeah. we are. Moving right along. Yeah, moving right along to Rock Your World, who is the Santa Anita Derby winner. It was his first time on dirt. And I was reading about this horse and John Sadler, the way he kept our interest away from this cult with two turf starts before making his dirt debut at the highest level. I, I've got to give him an award for this. Like, this is phenomenal. It's a, there's a quote, like, yeah, there's a quote that I might repeat 50 times between now and, and May 1st. It's when Sadler was asked why he was racing Rock Your World on uh, on grass, and I don't know how much of a college football fan you are, Naomi, but he said, right. you know, it's not a lot of fun. It's it's not a lot of fun playing Alabama every week, right? And and I get that he he didn't want to face the face the Baffert monsters with Rock Your World. Mm-hmm. He, he just had no interest in having this cult 
knock heads with this assembly line of, of you know derby candidates and triple crown candidates that Baffert seems to have every every winter at Santa Anita. So we'll take the path of least resistance early on, and he has the pedigree to handle multiple surfaces and a brilliant job of campaigning. Rock your world, whom you watch his first two races on grass. And I remember after the uh, Pasadena win, Umberto Rispoli in the post race was saying, you know, he had a few, yeah, he had a, a concern for a couple of strides rounding the far turn. He said that Rock Your World was having, he wasn't finding his best ride just yet. But once he did, my God, just turned it on and in a, he was gone. And Rispoli said, the, he said, I couldn't pull him up. On the backstretch, he would even say, I could not pull him up. And that's the type of cold rock your world is and you saw him in the Santa Anita Derby and there were also some reports that he wasn't training like a from highly respected horse racing analysts and experts that were saying he wasn't necessarily training didn't look like a horse that would improve on dirt and all he does is go out there set a review set a pretty quick pace make the lead and 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 wire a very good Santa Anita Derby field, establishing himself as one of the one of the favorites for the Kentucky Derby. Now there's a question of race shape in the Derby. There's a question of what happens if Rock Your World has other horses in front of him. He's mm-hmm. never had kickback. He's never experienced that intense spray. I think the draw is important for Rock Your World. I'd hate to see him draw post two, post three, yep. have some faster horses potentially from the outside get in front of him and then put in that really difficult situation. If you get a chance, go back and watch the 2000 Derby. There's a horse named the deputy that team Valor owned who had won the Santa Anita Derby in impressive, impressive fashion. I believe he was a second choice in the wagering and they had the same questions going in. He had more of a, a, a grass background, but he won the Santa Anita Derby on, <clears throat> on dirt and found himself in a situation in the Kentucky Derby where he was taking all kinds of spray and kickback and like race over so I still think it's not just a matter of whether or not the horse can handle dirt. We know he can. How will he handle those particular elements if put in that situation where he's taking a lot of kickback? And definitely a question with him. Did now that life's good is out, have the highest, does, excuse me, have the highest buyer speed figure in the field, a triple digit, a 100 buyer for that effort. So clearly just a lot of untapped talent, it seems but how is he going to react to, you know, a 20 horse field and indeed possibly getting shuffled around other talented horses eyeballing him all the way if he wants to be on the lead. Now, he has one coming from off the pace as well, but that was on the turf. So that's very different, uh, as you highlighted. We, we, we don't we don't we don't know. Just one other thing, though, I'm wondering, you know, Sadler was toying with the idea at first when asked about works leading up to the Kentucky Derby. He said, oh, you know, maybe two, maybe three works. Three works, then, then clearly the, the race couldn't have taken very much out of him. I don't think that wound up being the case, obviously, but it like maybe three works. Um, I think that's a pretty good indication of how well uh, Rock Your World came came out of the race. As for Rock Your World, I feel like we've kind of covered this incredibly talented son of candy ride. Bourbonic, the upset winner of the Grade Two Wood Memorial, seventy two dollars twenty five to one is what what his price was what an odd race that was i i still don't know exactly what to do with the memorial but i do know that i've been looking towards some of the other runners in in terms of my preference for the derby runners i guess you give bourbonic 
extra credit for overcoming a really slow pace and winning from far off the pace. Why was he so far back credit. when the pace was that slow? He was 10 lengths off, his, off it. That, well, I think that was, uh, that was Kendrick had said, that was his, his strategy going in. Um, Brad Kelly and Calumet love to take a chance. And when Pletcher, Todd Pletcher was asked about his presence in the Wood Memorial, that was pretty much his response. He seemed like he was much more enthusiastic of the, the runner-up. Who wound up running second? Dynamic one. Dynamic one. Um, so, no, I'm not looking at the Wood Memorial as a race to produce this year's Kentucky Derby winner. Having said that, um, the story in itself is significant with Kendrick Carmouche in that he, he just experienced his first grade one win last fall for Calumet in the Cigar Mile. Um, it had a second aqueduct riding title stolen right from underneath him when Eric Cancel won what a story. You know, six races on, on closing day. Um, and Kendrick talks about, he, he's proud of Eric. He's like, man, what a display of race riding that was. What a great day. What a clutch performance. You know, Kendrick's, Kendrick's a class act. And, and I think it's important for racing fans a little bit newer to the sport to understand how significant African-American riders have always been in the sport, though it's less common now that the first Kentucky Derby was won by an African-American rider and how many great African-American riders there were in the early days, earlier days of this sport. And for Carmouche to have this opportunity to ride in his first Kentucky Derby, I also think he has a mount in the Kentucky Oaks. Um, his, his enthusiasm is infectious and win, lose, or draw, regardless of what Bourbonic goes out and does, I'm just excited for, for Carmouche to have the opportunity and for this story to be told. I agree with you. I think there's just so many layers to it, especially when you mentioned how he got his first grade one win not too long before and then now winning the Wood Memorial. Even though it's a great two, that was still a victory on a huge long shot showcasing how talented he is as a rider and also how tenacious he's been throughout the years and really starting to get his moment in the spotlight now. So and, and Naomi, he was supposed to ride Nikki the Vest. And Nikki the Vest scratched. And then they checked with Pletcher. And Pletcher had already assigned a rider to Dynamic One. He's like, well, you know, we have Bourbonic. And and Carmouche said, he says, you know, he was, he was really confident in Bourbonic. He said, you know, he had caught that sealed track at Parks, and he was the only horse to close on that particular day of racing at Parks. And when Todd asked him, when they because he had, he had done his homework on the horse, and he says, Kendrick said, you know, he'll get the distance, we'll make one run, and we'll come running late. That's exactly, exactly how it unfolded. Oh my God, that's, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. We'll move on along the list of Kentucky Derby leaderboard. Of course, greatest honor will not be lining up. I do think uh, Suge McGay was saying that he needed a couple of days off. Do we know where he might be going next? I don't. I would expect a summer campaign in some capacity with, with greatest honor is what my guess would be. I don't know that you come back. And again, I'm just, this is just pure speculation, <laughs> yeah. depending on how deep a race like the Jim Dandy comes up. Maybe they look at the curl in the following day for an easier landing spot. And then, and then the Travers, if he's, if he's good to go. Yeah, we'll see uh, where he. Pure went. speculation. Yeah, Pure no, speculation. it's it's such a shame though. We always love seeing Shug McGay with a with a good one in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, if you watch the the orb win, the first shot of Shug, he's in shock. 
Hold, go, go back. He is in shock for about two seconds that he's on camera. And then it seems like it sinks in and, and he's hugging everyone and celebrating. That was one of those derbies where even for other breeders, owners, trainers, jockeys involved in the race, everybody was satisfied with the mm -hmm. outcome because of the, the seemingly widespread general consensus, love and appreciation for Shukagadi as a trainer and a person. Yeah, an absolute gentleman of the sport and a wonderful person to deal with. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times on the Belmont backstretch. And it's just... I, I, can, I can listen to Shug talk horses all day. Right? It's like, 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 it's like horse racing. It's like a, this, this, like, like a, like a Dickens novel, but in a horse racing with this, with a Kentucky sort of accent. Um, you, you can use this one of those guys. You can just shut up and listen to him talk horses all day exactly I, I agree i agree just a phenomenal horseman with a wealth of knowledge that we're all just very fortunate to sometimes get the chance to listen to we'll move on to uh, medina's spirit i guess the first bafford horse on the list here we, we're always expecting them to be the first talking horses as we said before uh, medina's spirit well beaten in the santa anita derby by rock your world well beaten in the san felipe by fellow stablement life is good who will not be running in the derby but still if you look at sort of his body of work he's not a bad horse medina spirit is solid another cult who um emmer zadon came to own perhaps as a result of the pandemic uh, bloodstock agent gary young went to the sale of which he said at the end of day six, he normally would have looked at like 40 or 50 prospects, but as a result of the pandemic, he had only looked at like 10 and Medina Spirit was on the list. And Zidane asked him what he thought about him. He was by Protonico and Zidane was very good friends with Protonico's owner. And he said, give him a look for, for that reason. He says, yeah, he's on the list. He says, he's not a sales topper, but, but he's okay. He's good. And they got him for $35,000, $35,000 and, and young and and Zidane, I mean, they just, you know, the Wednesday before the San Anita Derby purchased that that gunrunner colt for like 1.7 million or something crazy. In a short period of time, Zidane has put a lot of money into the sport. From the time he got involved, he said the Kentucky Derby was was the goal. And you could see the disappointment uh, on his face after the San Anita Derby uh, with the second place finish, um, expecting a better performance, a winning performance where he would have been in that conversation of, of Derby favorites. Um, and, and Baff, I spoke with Baffert right after the race and there was no hesitation. It's on to the Kentucky Derby. He said he could tell how easily Rock Your World was doing things on the front end. He still ran second. Uh, Medina Spirit is, is tough, more blue collar than, than, than brilliant. Um, but John Velasquez riding and here, this, this, this is interesting. So Velasquez and Baffert both made their Kentucky Derby on the same afternoon in 1996. And it wasn't until 50 some odd Derby starters and however many years later that, you know, almost a quarter century later, almost, that they, that they actually combine with the Derby runner, with Baffert training authentic and Velasquez riding authentic. That was the first horse Velasquez had ridden for Baffert in the Derby. Which makes sense. I mean, he rides on the East Coast and Baffert's on the West Coast. And most of Velasquez Derby mounts have been for Todd Fletcher. But still, you're talking two of the very best in their craft at what they do. And Authentic was the first time that they teamed up in a Kentucky Derby. We know what the results were. A win and now trying to go, 
back to back with uh, with Medina with Medina Spirit. Yeah, based on connections alone, you want to give Medina Spirit a second look. Stablemate concert tour, of course. Another Bob Bafford trainee comes in here after perhaps a, a disappointing effort, as you hinted at at the beginning in the Grade One Arkansas Derby, and we were talking on the In the Money um, Triple Crown draft, and and I thought this was a really good note by Peter Thomas Fornatel saying, if Concert Tour would have gone and won that race, he might have been the favorite for this year's Kentucky Derby. Yet now. Um, I'm pretty sure I picked him up in my fourth draft concert tour, which is just a, a testament to how competitive this year's Kentucky Derby is because concert tour himself, that rebel race was phenomenal, but then coming back and slightly disappointing. Ignoring the trend that we discussed earlier about horses yeah. winning their final preps and those horses are the ones that wind up in the Derby winner's circle. I think he has the most bounce back potential. Um, of any horse derby bound. Um, they're not machines. I, I know how cliche that sounds, but, you know, Michael Jordan would miss free throws on occasion, and, and Tom Brady has thrown many interceptions in playoff games. Like, it happens. Star pitchers get rocked in playoff games, and a Baffert Colt, believe it or not, who's expected to perform at a very high level from time to time will disappoint in a, in a major Derby prep. The first two Kentucky Derbies he won were with horses who lost their final prep. They both ran better than Concert Tour did. Silver Charm, Real Quiet, second in the 97 and 98 uh, Santa Anita Derby before winning the Kentucky Derby. We know how good he can be. Like that rebel that you referenced, that happened. He is, we know how good he can be. I'm not buying that he can't run that far. Maybe softened up a little bit chasing Caddo River. Maybe he just had a bad day. And I think more so than anything else, he's the horse to watch in terms of final breezes leading up to the Kentucky Derby. Baffert has often said, and in this case he said, sometimes you learn more about a horse in a loss than you do in a win. So maybe he figures something out. If anybody can, it's the guy who's trying to become the all-time leading Kentucky Derby winner in history with an unprecedented seventh win. Concert Tour has the ability. He has the pedigree. He flopped. Better that day than the big day coming up. True. I'm not saying he wins. I'm saying I expect a bounce-back performance. And I don't think the Arkansas Derby is an, an accurate depiction of who Concert Tour is as an individual. He's very good. And we'll see if, if Baffert can, you know, he has three weeks, to, to figure out how he, how he what went wrong, fix it, and... And he also trained well leading up to the Arkansas Derby. So that, that's another thing. So that, that, again, adding more, another layer of mystery. And maybe it was just an off day for whatever reasons. And I think we see something closer to what I believe is the real concert tour. The problem is the lack of data. We don't have horses running 11, 12 times between, mm-hmm. before the Kentucky Derby anymore. It's a limited, limited sam- sample. So because of that, it it's, makes it tougher to really gauge you know, what went wrong on that particular afternoon. I do think he bounces back. If anyone is able to, to get his horse back in peak condition, I'd say it's, it's Bob Baffert. So in Baffert, we trust uh, as we move on mm-hmm. to Midnight Bourbon, another uh, possibility for Steve Asmus and Mike Smith takes the ride. A horse that has been incredibly consistent, but perhaps hasn't caught her eye like some of the other runners have. Yeah, not, not flashy, no. more workmanlike. 
Um, for Asmussen, the combination of Superstock and Midnight Bourbon, he just, he is, he is progressive. I don't know that there's anything to pinpoint to say, okay, this is something that we really love about Midnight Bourbon. He's probably not the most exciting horse, but he is, he is improving. And I think it took a real performance to beat him in that Louisiana Derby. Hot Rod Charlie, what do you think? Hot Rod Charlie is going to be fourth choice at post time? Fifth choice? Like, he's a leading contender. He is. And for mm-hmm. a few strides, it looked like Midnight Bourbon might win that Louisiana Derby. And uh, that's always been a hallmark of Asmussen. I remember when, when Gunrunner was doing his thing as a three-year-old and when he ran third in the Kentucky Derby. Also, Winchell, as is, as is Midnight Bourbon. It asks him, you know, just just wait, just you know, he's going to get that much better as he gets older. And I know we're not talking about Midnight Bourbon getting older before the Kentucky Derby, but I think he is progressive and a horse improving and heading in the right direction. I believe we see Midnight Bourbon's best race of his career in the Derby. The question is, will that be enough? So the big question here is, too, what did you tell Mike Smith at dinner? Yeah, he said, he said this. You know, I I thought that. Um, I got the sense that I got the sense maybe Midnight Bourbon is is we'll see about race shape and strategy and tactics. I wonder what Midnight Bourbon how he how he would react in a scenario where he was a little bit farther a little bit farther off off the pace. I don't know that he necessarily needs to be a pace prompter. I think he might have a little bit more of a finishing kick than we've seen thus far and maybe a race like the Kentucky Derby in the race shape where he's a little bit further back would give us give him the opportunity to to utilize a different strategy do you think it's a good thing for a horse to be off the pace in the Kentucky Derby though when you have such a, a big field so so many opportunities to get in trouble Racing luck isn't playing the same role Naomi as it used to when sprinters were in the Kentucky Derby you know when you're when you're on the freeway and you're driving and your goal is to get from point A to point B, well, if there's a car like stopped, broken down in the lane in front of you, you're not worried about getting from point A to point B. You're worried about surviving, slamming on the brakes and avoiding an accident. When you had horses that were sprinters running in the Kentucky Derby that could run seven furlongs and then they were going to stop and tire to a walk, that's what causes traffic, and that's what causes traffic jams. And jockeys that are riding to win a Kentucky Derby are all of a sudden riding to stay, to not clip heels, to not be involved in a spill, to try to avoid other traffic. It's very different now where every horse in the field can get the mile and a quarter, maybe slowly, but they can all get the mile and a quarter. So you're not having as many traffic issues. Of course, there's still going to be incidents and horses are going to get squeezed and shut off it's the derby there's going to be race riding but racing luck isn't playing the same role that it has in the past another reason i think it's been much more formful specifically since we went from the graded stakes earning system to the point system and you have horses proven at longer distances you don't have any more rabbits and things of that nature so i've pretty clean run races which is absolutely what you want and you don't want this isn't a race that you want luck to play a determining factor and I think, again, this is another reason why it's been so much more formful in recent history. Exactly. And quickly, before we get to the next horse, we talked a little bit about the draw before and you stating that you don't want a horse to have a very low draw, especially if they're not a horse that want to be on the lead or moving forward. Can you give us a quick overview of where you would want to be drawn in the Kentucky Derby? I think the 
elimination of the auxiliary gate is key. I thought the auxiliary gate for horses with tactical speed was a big advantage. And we saw two years in a row where two contenders were absolutely wiped out from the 14 post. The last stall in the main gate, Classic Empire and Mendelssohn, just got obliterated and any chance of winning ending right there and then. So I think all horses being in one gate is key. I'd always rather be towards the outside. There's so much real estate from the gate to the first turn to establish position. You know, an, an outside post in the Florida Derby is a lot worse than an outside post in the Kentucky Derby because you have all of that real estate. And a lot of it depends on the individual running style. How, can you handle from an inside post those horses coming in from the outside and that, that crush of horses coming over? Um, it's funny, Randy Moss and I always have this debate and I'll point out that, and I think this stat still stands. I looked it up a while back, so I'd have to look it up. I believe, I believe the last horse to win the Kentucky Derby from post one, two, or three is real quiet in 98. I believe that's still to be true. I'd have to look it up. And we always kind of debate. He says that the number one post isn't that bad because on average where the horse who breaks from the rail finishes, they always outrun their odds. He said, you know, they, they always outrun their odds, the horse that breaks the rail. I said, yeah, that's because nobody wants to bet the horse from the rail because, of course, they're going to outrun their odds, right? So it's kind of this that's chicken a, and the That's a stellar argument. argument. That's a stellar counter It is. Like, nobody, well, yeah, yeah, outruns his odds. Nobody wants to bet the one. But it's also different now because without the auxiliary gate, the gate isn't occupying as much space in the past. And you look like it looking at Lucky, Baffert's defeated favorite um, several years back, who drew the rail and had a horrendous trip. The jockey on the one horse would be look, if he ran dead straight, would literally hit the rail, would run into the rail. Um, and now with the elimination of that gap between the main gate and the auxiliary gate, that, that's not as much of an issue anymore. So that one post isn't as detrimental as it, as it used to be. But I still won't be betting the one horse. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Uh, next two horses' life is good. Of course, it's out. Wayburn is not going to Kentucky Derby. Mandaloon. Still not sure if I say that correctly. I've now developed a tactic that I just say however I want to say it and tell everyone else who says it differently that it's wrong. Uh, Mandaloon, Risen Star winner that was slightly dull in the Louisiana Derby. Slightly dull is perhaps an understatement. Really didn't run a race at all. That's six weeks from the Louisiana Derby to the Kentucky Derby. According to trainer Brad Cox, that's a blessing. There was no excuse, not the distance. He None. was dull, will be fresh, and is on course to still appear in the Kentucky Derby. And Cox is pretty bullish on Mandaloon. And it reminds me how bullish he was on She Dares, the devil. Um, when British Idiom came back for her three-year-old season and the racing schedule was upside down because by now we were in the midst of the pandemic, for example. We were getting ready for the fantasy, which was felt like a makeshift Kentucky Oaks. It was run on Kentucky Oaks Day at Oakmont. And Cox had British Idiom and She Dares the Devil. And there, there, there can be a habit to focus on the champion and how well British Idiom has done as a two-year-old filly. I think she had had one start at that point, a little disappointing, but how she was coming back into her neck. Was she? I can't remember if she actually ran in that fantasy. All I remember is the conversation being about British idiom and that Cox was all, don't sleep on She Dares the Devil now. Like, don't, don't, don't forget about She Dares the Devil. And we saw what she did eventually once the Kentucky Oaks rolled around in September, she having won it, and a second for Brad Cox. He sounds the same about Mandaloon, and I think we've decided on Mandaloon now. I know that we have Mandaloon who's out there for a while. 
Mandaloon in it when he was. See, asked so I about was right. Keeping, you know, I think you were right. I think you, you, you're, you're right on target, as expected. Um, where he's been adamant about everyone leaving Mandaloon on their derby list. Mm-hmm. Um, he says he hasn't lost any confidence. He also referenced uh, Laurent Giroux uh, breezing him uh, maybe a week or so ago. I and think, yeah, April ended- 10th, it says here, but I was reading an article saying that he breezed with grade two Fairground Oaks victors, Bonnie South, a half in 46 and three fifths. And I think on the form here, it says 58 and four on April 10th, which is blistering workout speed. That's fast. Yeah. That fast. And that was, so this was probably two works back. And Giroux, after the work, was was shaking his head and said, like, I don't understand. I don't understand why he ran the way he did in the, the Louisiana Derby. Still, it's a it's it's a mystery. Um, you know, Garrett O'Rourke of Judmont, they're on they're 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 on board mm-hmm. in terms of of giving them the opportunity. There's Brad Cox has said that there's nothing physically wrong. Uh, he's a really good colt, training great, and and I, I still think. I I think Cox thinks he's very much overlooked and underestimated, Mandalou. I like it. Uh, I do know Matt Bernier was very high on him as well, and I think he got him in his like first or second round. Uh, perhaps we'll see the real Mandalou wow. come back uh, again in the Kentucky Derby. Next host on the list is uh, Cato River, same trainer, possibly pointing to the Preakness instead. There were some, you know, little bit of talk about that. Um, that was my reasoning behind getting him for maybe a fresh horse in the Preakness, but he did, you know, he was making all in the Arkansas Derby. Concert Tour was breathing down his neck. He started to tire, but I thought it was a very decent sort of eyeballing uh, moment there. And Caddo River kicked again just to outstay um, Concert Tour for a second. As I understand, the decision will be. Uh, John Ed Anthony's owner breeder, who has brought some very good horses over the years to the Kentucky Derby. Prairie Bayou, who I believe was favored and ran second. He came back and ran and won the Preakness, uh, that terrible, terrible injury in the Belmont. And, and, and let's euthanize. Um, John Ed Anthony had Pine Bluff, a Preakness winner. He brought uh, Demons Be Gone, who was the favorite in the 87 Kentucky Derby. So this is not a, this is back when it was Lob Lolly Stable, uh, now Shortleaf. It's up to him. And Caddo River, again, it's the same kind. Was the Arkansas Derby more about Superstock winning or Concert Tour losing? Was Caddo River's second place finish more about him digging in and coming back on Concert Tour? Or at that point, Concert Tour just spit the bit? Um, I think that distance is a major, a major question. But Caddo River for Brad Cox also did some dirty work for Essential Quality, didn't he? Going out there and setting those hot fractions with Caddo River, uh, with the concert tour, maybe getting sucked into a faster pace than he'd be more comfortable with. And in the end, Brad Cox. You mean dirty work for Superstock? Doing the dirty. You said essential quality. I got so confused. (laughs) No, in that some, maybe. Caddo River doing some of the dirty work oh, for in a stable the, made in the essential Kentucky quality. Oh. In the Arkansas Derby moving forward, that does that take some starch mm. out of concert tour? We know that his stock has dropped. We know that yeah. when he's forced into a hotter pace that he was, I, I, did he have a bad day? Was he exposed again? A lot of mystery still surrounding that particular performance by concert tour, but would it have yielded a different result if Caddo River wasn't in there? 
Caddo River went in there and they said, look, they made they they took us by surprise a little bit in the rim. You see Florent Giroux looking over like, what are you doing here? When Joel Rosario broke so sharp with concert tour, that wasn't going to happen again. And Florent Giroux sold out the moment they gates opened, made the lead. And while concert tour was pressing, it was pressing a hot pace that was being set by Caddo River. And I think that after the Arkansas Derby, my point is, Brad Cox had to feel that much better about essential quality based on the performance of concert tour in the Arkansas Derby. Yeah. And how much did Caddo River have to do with that disappointing performance by concert tour? Mm. I mean, it, it's, it's certainly, I, I like how you're phrasing it in terms of, is it about concert tour losing? Is it about Caddo River and concert tour taking each other on and Superstock taking full advantage of it, which I do believe happened. And mm-hmm. hence to me, Superstock is not as attractive as a prospect moving forward. I think, Cata River is very intriguing. I hope Concert Tour comes back and shows us uh, his top, you know, top level performance once again in the Derby to really make it a true race. But it's hard. It's hard to pinpoint Cato River. And what would you do if you were Brad Cox? Would you have him line up in the Kentucky Derby for which I think he's not without a chance? Yes, it's not the most highly fancied in there. But you, as you mentioned before, still holds with enough points to line up in the run for the Roses. Are you going to go... Or are you going to go to the Preakness or elsewhere? Look, all I know is that before last year's Kentucky Derby, I didn't think Authentic could thrive at the mile and a quarter distance, especially after the Haskell. So even with an easy, like, how this, I, this is not a mile and a quarter horse. We saw what he won in the Derby, repelling that challenge from Tis the Law and, and winning impressively. And eventually a Breeders' Cup Classic winner and a Horse of the Year. I'm saying the same things about Caddo River. I don't think he can thrive at a mile and a quarter. But look at what happened last year. And sometimes recent history can have an impact on how we look at how we look at the next year's Derby and trying to trying to predict race shape and which horses can overcome certain obstacles. Well, that horse did that, so why can't this horse do this? For Cox, you're keeping another horse out of the Derby if you run. Um, race shape doesn't seem to influence essential qualities performance one way or the other he can adapt to any pace if he was like a stone closer i would say absolutely run him even though different ownership groups you're not saying Caddo river is a <laughs> is a rabbit by any means <laughs> but he does add more fuel to the fire in terms of what the pace might look like if Caddo river's there and i don't i i have not figured out it's it's too early to look at pace and trying to figure out you know who's the fastest and who's going to make the lead and that sort of thing what i do know is that let's say that Brad Cox in his mind feels that the horse that essential quality has to beat is a horse who is at his best when he is on or near the lead and i train a horse who has earned his way to the Kentucky Derby who has enough points to go if John Ed Anthony wants to go and I put Cattle River in there and heat up that pace a little bit and maybe take a little bit of the starch out of one of the other contenders, just like Cattle River may have taken some of the starch at a concert tour. Why not? Why not? I agree. I think it's a, it's a wonderful way of looking at it. Make sure to let Brad Cox know. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure because he's going to listen to what I have to say about how he strategizes for the for the Kentucky Derby. You never know. You never know. Next horse, highly motivated for Chad Brown, who is still looking for that inaugural Kentucky Derby victory. What a heck of a race in the bluegrass. He would not 
give in to essential quality. I thought he saw at the mile and eighth pretty all right. Was switching around a little bit in terms of leads. I know that for some people that's a big no-no. I guess my European background, I tend to forgive them a little bit for it. But I mean, by into mischief, who's having a heck of a run as well. I think highly motivated is certainly interesting. I think there's three by into mischief uh, in the top twenty right now, or or anticipated uh, Kentucky. Yeah, Mandaloon is by into me. mischief as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me try it on the top of my head. I know there's a the third. Ones. There is a, a third, third, right? Who's there the is third? a third. Who's the third? Who's the third? Super sandwich. Oh, super sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, Mandaloon is, but who else? Yeah. Um, he reminds me a lot of Practical Joke, a horse who was second, I believe, in the Bluegrass Stakes um, and came back to run a respectable fifth in the Kentucky Derby from a far outside post position. This is off topic, but if you ever want to see like the blueprint, the text of how an outside post position should be ridden with a horse that has tactical speed in the Derby, go back and watch Joel Rosario's work on Practical Joke in the Kentucky Derby from, I believe, post position 19. I think he wound up like one off the rail when they hit the first turn. Wow. Um, highly motivated. He, he 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 didn't break that sharp. And that's a problem with him. This is, this is a habit. Mm-hmm. You go back and watch every one of his races. He doesn't break. From Saratoga debut to the Belmont race in late, late September, another sluggish start. Even in the Nyquist, when he drew the rail, he didn't break again on the undercard of the, of the Breeders' Cup. The Gotham, he didn't break, and he got trapped inside and forced to steady and wound up running third. Didn't break that sharp in the bluegrass. He really had to be hustled, and I think that that's something that you can overcome in some of these races, and he still wound up in front in a race that had no pace going in. Um, massive, massive effort, but his inability, it's not like he falls down to his face every time he leaves the starting gate, but he's sluggish getting out of the gate. And for a horse who is going to do his best work, perhaps closer to the pace, I think that's something really to watch. Horses typically, you know, I don't know that you can win a horse, win a Kentucky Derby at the start, but you can definitely lose one. The horse that comes to mind is is Curlin in 2007. Uh, He had the two post and broke sluggishly and he wound up running, running third. Um, I think that, 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 that bugs me. That aside, you have to ask yourself if he was ever going to beat essential quality, highly motivated, like wouldn't it have been in the bluegrass when he had everything his own way? I'm just wondering why the Kentucky Derby would be any different. I wonder about the distance. I don't think he's, a, I don't know that he's a mile and a quarter horse. And I think we had some of those same questions about practical joke moving forward. And he wound up being much better at middle distances strategy. Do, do they, you know, if, if a Caddo river is in there, you know, he's going to stock, which he's done in the past, which is no problem. Um, and that lead swap that you mentioned, that's, that's a little disconcerting as well. And I thought at first, cause I've seen this before, there's that shadow either before or inside the 16th pole at Keeneland. I said, maybe he just jumped that. And he actually swapped like two strides before it. So I don't think that was a case of jumping the shadow either. So some some meat on the bone in terms of concerns that you can nod regarding highly motivated. Um, but with this particular team, with, with Seth Klarman, with Chad Brown, who, who's, he, he was he, they teamed up with Normandy Invasion, Castellano Road when he was fourth to Orb in 2013. Good Magic, second to Justify in 2018. 
he's polarizing. It's highly motivated because there's a lot to like and also a lot to pick apart. Yeah, I, I do like what I saw in the Bluegrass, even though there are certainly plenty of sort of um, arguments to go against him, but maybe as a bit of a, an outside price horses. Uh, we'll talk about the two Mark Cassie horses. Splitting them as Panadol, who we've now established at the beginning of our show, uh, will not be traveling to the United States for the Kentucky Derby. He was, of course, second in the UAE Derby behind Rebels Romance. So Mark Cassie, two horses with enough points to line up in the starting gate. Helium, winner of the Tampa Bay Derby, and Soup and Sandwich, second in the Florida Derby behind Known Agenda. I'm going to have to be honest, I prefer the latter. I prefer Soup and Sandwich of the two runners here, but how do you rate them? So do I. So do I. Um, soup and Sandwich's lead swap thing is as much as highly motivated Getting out of the gate is 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 a concern. Uh, soup and sandwich with that's 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 becoming you know what, what do they say that once is a fluke, twice is a coincidence, three times is a trend or a pattern. This is a pattern at this stage with soup and sandwich. So talented, but he really needs to get over this bad habit. I think he swapped back and forth three or four times in the stretch Very of, green. The, of the Florida Derby. But yeah, but he's always been highly regarded there's a lot of talent there and uh, a lot of upside i just that's that that, again if we're picking apart and you're looking at the best three-year-olds in north america they all have ability they all have credentials they've earned the points to run you start looking for some flaws that is a that that's a significant flaw for soup and sandwich helium i don't um mark gassy afterwards he had said that he was most proud of that particular what he was able to accomplish from a training standpoint getting helium ready for that for that to performance and, and, and to win the, uh, the, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Derby off a long layoff. He hadn't raced since October. Um, we've seen in, in recent, recent years, horses win that race and then train up to the Kentucky Derby. You wonder what Destin would have done in the Kentucky Derby if he had another prep. He wound up winning fifth and off of the fifth place finish in the Kentucky Derby. He, he was beat by the slightest of margins in the Belmont Stakes by creator, I believe. Um, it didn't work out well last year for King Guillermo, the, the long layoff and training up to the Kentucky Derby. It, you would think he would benefit from another start. Um, Mark Cassie knows a hell of a lot more about <laughs> training than I certainly do. He's a world-class trainer. He's bound for the Hall of Fame and, and the ceremony not taking place last year at Saratoga. He'll be there. He deserves to be there. He's a again, world-class, world-class trainer. I know in the past there's been horses that have, upset in these derby prep races at, at long odds and they've trained up to the derby because you, know, you don't want to get the horse exposed you don't want that horse to show it is eight weeks though from the tampa bay derby to the kentucky it's derby. a long time yeah it's a long time and uh so yeah i don't a he'd have to really step up and run a lot faster the the layoff um i, I don't I, i'm not seeing it yeah i'm 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 not on board either let's uh talk about Top pledges, other horse coming out of the Wood Memorial, Dynamic One. Do you believe Jose Ortiz is slated to ride? Uh, how do we, I mean, we're talking about more sort of outside chances now, uh, horses that clearly aren't in the top five of the betting market, but still uh, they have the points and most likely will be lining up. Yeah, he's he ran. It's it's hard to completely dismiss after Pletcher ran one, two in the Wood with Bourbonic and Dynamic One at massive 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 odds uh Mike Rapoli, a co-owner it said I, I i've taken horses with less of a shot to the derby than dynamic <laughs> ones so let's go ahead and and take a shot i'm not again i'm not looking at the 
at the wood as a race that's going to produce a any course that's going to really some 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 fun stories there but i'm not from a strictly a handicapping standpoint in terms of expectation i'm not looking at the wood as a key prep for this year's derby no um we'll talk about the other Chad Brown horse, who I don't believe is going to line up, crowded trade. I think he's more likely for the Preakness. No, he's he's on the. He's actually very similar. That um, Cloud Computing ran third in the Wood Memorial, skipped the Derby, came back and beat Classic Empire in the Preakness. I think Crowded Trade also for Seth Klarman uh, is on that same is on that same path to skip the Derby and to resurface in the Preakness. So I'm trying to quickly calculate how many spots we still have left. Well, Sainthood. Um, is still within reach, uh, I do believe, uh, runner-up in the Jeff Ruby stakes. I, Again, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm taking anyone from that race either, to be honest. No, I just, I feel bad for Jonathan because I know what kind of payday he was he was set for. Should Saint, if, if St. Hood would have won oh. that Jeff Ruby, and got in all kinds of trouble. And again, you can still make the argument he was best, but Elliot Walden has said, you know, we're going. And, uh, and for... for for Pletcher, um, yeah. If, if last I heard, and these things have been, it's a, it's a, it's a moving target. It's all very fluid. But from what I understand, um, he is, he is still, uh, still on the list. I, I, again, I don't, again, much like the wood, I don't view the Jeff Ruby as a key, as a key derby prep. So the next horse proxy is definitely out. I do believe from Mike Stidham mm-hmm. uh, would have been another mm-hmm. Godolphin runner in there. Uh, Ron Barr is drawing in because of the aforementioned scratches. I do believe so. Second. On 22nd on the list, but I think we have three now that we've been able to mark off of that original list. Uh, Mike McCarthy trains. How much do we know about his uh, possibility of lining up? Another one that, that yeah, I think he's probably going to wind up, wind up getting in. Um, he's, yeah, originally, they, it sounded like they were going to wait for the Preakness, like risk trading. But again, I think I think that thinking has has changed. Um, while everything was in highly motivated's favor, uh, runner up in the bluegrass, it felt like everything was going to be against Rumbauer mm-hmm. um, with, with very little pace uh, to work with. Though he did, he was a little bit closer to the pace. He ran fine, a solid a solid third place effort. There, there's his two year old form is solid. That really good second in the grade one in the, in the American Pharaoh. Um, I wouldn't put him in the upper echelon of Derby prospects. I wouldn't be looking at Ron Barrow as a win candidate. He strikes me as a horse that I go and saying, okay, I think Ron Bauer will beat more horses than beat him is how I feel about him going in. Okay. I, I like that. I like that. Any other horses you want to mention? Maybe Obasis might be looking of trying to get in third in um the Louisiana Derby as well behind Hot Rod Charlie and Midnight Gordon. I think he gets in as well. I think he probably gets in as well. I know Terry Finley and West Point are very excited. Um, he's, he's you know, I, I was surprised at how well he had run in the, and I do not have anything on him in front of me. Did he run third? He ran in the, third, uh, yeah, behind Hot Rod Charlie, behind the, Midnight the, yeah, see, He was very wide going into that first turn, uh, but pretty solid staying on for second that day. Fourth in the Risen Star, but well beaten by Mandaloon, like seven and a half lengths. Yeah, the third in the, I like, so the distance was supposed to be a real issue. And in the mile and three sixteenths Louisiana Derby, which is key, um, the way he closed up the fence, um, negating perhaps any concerns that he couldn't thrive at farther distances. Um, uh, he's another one that may be a little bit underestimated. We'll watch how he continues to progress and train leading up to the Derby. Again, not one that I'm looking at as a as a win 
candidate, but I'm one of these horses that I'm glad to see if he does draw in, if he does wind up there with some of the other horses with more points looking in other directions. Um, we just saw West Point and then those colors in the Derby winner circle a few years ago with always dreaming. He's all right. He's all right. So that concludes uh, us going over all the runners, uh, possible runners, that is, of course, for the 147th Kentucky Derby. We have to think about that one. Uh, are your AirPods still uh, AirPods still alive or do we have to wrap it up? Because I've got a couple of like, small no, questions. No, I think we're good. It hasn't. I, I normally get like a like a, an indicator of some sort that we're running, but I think we're okay. All right. So um, just some more fun questions for you as you've attended so many Kentucky Derbies. How many have you attended and which ones have you worked at as a broadcaster? Oh God. Uh, the first Derby I attended was in 87. My father was riding masterful advocate. I was miserable because I was so you? young and it felt I was so, it, I would have been uh, 11. Um, and it was, it just, it's for a kid. That's a long time to be under the sun at a racetrack in a suit doing, you know, when you don't really have that, I, I didn't understand. I didn't know what was going on. I guess by the time post time got there, I was excited, but Derby feels like it's 52 hours long as is that particular afternoon. So that was my first Derby experience. I was much more excited to go back in 94. Um, my dad rode a horse from on McAnally, a valiant nature who got into all kinds of trouble. There was kind of a running joke with the McCarrens and I that, that, when when my sister and I had gone to the to the Derby the first two times, Chris McCarron won his two Kentucky Derbies. So I was like, "Hey, are you going to the Derby this year?" When he had won with Ali Sheba and Gofergin, um, I attended the last Derby my father rode in in two thousand two uh, on Medallia Doro, who I still to this day think if he breaks, he beats War Emblem. He should have been in War Emblem's hip pocket instead. He was mid pack after a poor break did make up some ground in a, in a race that was an absolute merry-go-round. Um, that one stung because I knew he was obviously in the twilight of his career and I just wanted to experience it. I was too young to appreciate his first, obviously. So I remember how disappointed I was that afternoon. So those were the, the derbies that I went to as a fan. The first derby I worked was 07, actually being there for Street Sense. And I've, I've, been to, I've worked every one since. Wow. That's that's quite that's quite the, the record there. I was going to ask you, which one would have been a standout memory for you, but I'm assuming you're going to say the one that your father won. So again, I, I but you were too appreciated it okay. years later, watching it on VHS that I've now watched 3000 times. Absolutely. I would say if I could try and be objective in terms of the best Derby I've actually witnessed. Um, I remember I remember like with 160,000 other people, 150,000 being just blindsided and mind like mind that who just won the Kentucky Derby. That was an out of body experience. That was just absolutely it. That one stands out because of how shocked we were. Um, I would say American Pharaoh, American Pharaoh or justify. Um, I would have to say were the two, Sort of, and even though the American American Pharaoh was better, he was better in the Preakness. He was actually better in the Belmont. Um, seeing horses fulfill that promise that sometimes you'll see a Kentucky Derby and you'll say, "Well, we're not going to see a Kentucky Derby this uh, a Triple Crown winner this year." Mm -hmm. When American Pharaoh won, when 
justify one, uh, you got the sense that that was the start of something very special. So those two absolutely stand out. So this is interesting because you were saying they stand out because you thought they were so impressive because at that point, they weren't a triple crown winner yet. They were just a Kentucky right. Derby winner. I knew that I felt that American, I mean, I felt American Pharaoh won without bringing his A game and um, that we would see even a better version moving forward. And that was what was so exciting. And at the time, we were starting to feel like you were never going to see a triple crown winner. I was there, you know, my second year with NBC was in 2012. And that deflating news, that kick in the gut when we walked into the trailer and they told us that an announcement was coming that I'll have another was going to scratch, um, literally like getting kicked in the stomach. Um, with, you know, with Big Brown, I wasn't working then with NBC and, and, and ABC covered the race, but the fact that he was virtually eased, um, I'll have another not making the race. California Chrome, you know, running, running a valiant fourth you started getting the sense that are we are we ever going to see this? And then American Pharaoh felt different, and again did not fire his best in the Derby, but still won. Won in that monsoon in the Preakness morning of the Belmont. I bumped into Martin Garcia, who had been working him, and I said, "Yeah, but what about what about the mile and a half, Martin? You know, we've been down this road so many times. We've been disappointed." And he's like, and we were speaking in Spanish, and I'm not going to repeat what he said in Spanish because it's not it's not something you're doing. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Uh, what did he like, say? In F- FCC regulation. Well, I'm just saying a little bit vulgar, but in other words, he wasn't going to lose. Like in Martin Garcia's eyes, from his perspective, having been working, he's like, the race was a foregone conclusion. And we saw what American Pharaoh did in the uh, in the Belmont Stakes and, and what a, a surreal moment that was watching him cross the wire the celebration that went on for minutes and minutes and minutes and strangers embracing one another. Uh, I will never forget what Belmont Park felt like on that afternoon. I have two follow-up questions for you, just based on what you just told me. One, tell all the listeners what your first language is, because I don't think many know uh, how adapt you are in Spanish. Uh, I grew up speaking both. Um, I think uh, my father, he, he, he was traveling so much when we were little, um, we had, there was a, a, a live-in sort of a nanny slash housekeeper who only spoke Spanish. And if we wanted to communicate, I mean, literally not a word of English. And my father just, he tells a story that I was like three walking down the stairs speaking to myself in Spanish. Who taught taught this? So then he started speaking to us in Spanish a little bit more, and uh, so yeah, we were. My sister and I are 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 bilingual. My my, at this stage, I would. I've tried hosting a show. We're doing television in Spanish. It's a little bit like an unfolding of a lawn chair. You know, it's not quite as familiar. It's very different than your first. It's clear if I have a conversation with a Spanish speaker. They know I speak Spanish, but it's also going to be clear at this stage. I'm not as fluid. I'm not. It's not my first language. Okay. But uh, but yeah, and me and my father still speak to one another in Spanish. Um, and, you know, he's, he's Panamanian. I'm very proud of my Latin uh, roots and, and, and the fact that I, I, I'm, I am proud of that, that he did um, between himself and, and our, our nanny slash housekeeper teaching us Spanish. I'm very proud of that. As you should be, it's it's a part of you, and and I think anyone speaking multiple languages that that's a feat in itself. Actually, I don't think I could host 
a, a show in Dutch because the terminology is so different. I have to actually that think. That surprises me. Well, the, no, no. Because the reason I say this is because I got put on the spot at Preakness with World Horse Racing. Um, the producer goes, well, how about you try one in Dutch? And I'm like, sure, no problem. All the confidence in the world. Mm -hmm. Start thinking in my brain that I don't know the correct, you know, the actual technical terms for things like horse racing terms. I don't know them in Dutch because I never broadcast, I never broadcasted or talked about horse racing as much as in depth in my own language. So I was sitting there going, um, hold up <laughs> and started totally stuttering my way through. So I, I do get it. I get it. Completely different. And in your, for, for, for English, you might know five different ways of saying the same thing yes. where in Spanish, I know one way to say that. <laughs> so it became very redundant, repetitive. And very quickly, I was like, yeah, maybe a little too confident. Maybe I shouldn't be attempting to host or do anything in television. Yeah. I was, I was overly confident too. I was like, sure, yeah. this is no problem whatsoever. And then I go, actually, is this how you, is this the correct term in Dutch? This doesn't no. sound right. I'm not sure that's no, the right way, way of saying this. <laughs> so it, like yeah. Way, way out over your skis. Went downhill and, 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 pretty and quickly. And too, too late at that point. Yeah, went downhill pretty quickly. But, you know, everyone had a good laugh. And I felt like mm -hmm. my mom would slap me on the wrist going, see, your, your Dutch is deteriorating, which she always makes fun of when I go home. I, I start making these tiny grammatical mistakes the first week and then oh, after a week no. it's no after a week it's gone after a week all those tiny little tidbits because dutch is really different in terms of sentence structure so we place mm -hmm. words verbs adjective everything in different places than in english so you kind of i don't know i had to make i have to actively make that switch and then we're good so anyhow the other question was talking about when you said um it was an absolute monsoon during uh, the 2015 Preakness America Fair. How often does it rain at the Kentucky Derby? Because it seems to be an awful lot. So last year's was in September, so we were good. Um, not that it doesn't rain in, in, in Louisville in September, but prior it was it was three straight very wet Kentucky Derbies um, from uh, justifies uh, justifies win. In, in 18, let me see, in set, yeah, it rained. By the time Always Dreaming ran and won, it had stopped raining, but the track was, I believe, wet fast by the time we reached post time, but it rained most of the afternoon. Uh, the morning of Justifies Derby in 18, I remember turning on Dawn at the Downs and the local coverage with the local networks. And I mean, the wet, it was raining, but it was going to stop. It was going to clear. It never stopped. It never stopped. It was an absolute i mean and much of the afternoon earlier on was a little more misty but not as heavy and then it got heavier it, it never stopped uh, naturally the following day you go to the airport it's gorgeous like the most pristine perfect spring louisville afternoon you've ever seen and uh, maximum securities dq was 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 brutal in terms of weather and just never stopped so um, it, that part of the country they say is is very challenging for for weathermen weather people um, because of how quickly things can can change, so no rhyme or reason. But uh, in recent, you know, traditional first Saturday in May, Kentucky Derbies, it's it's been pretty wet. And hopefully this year, because it's early, Derby's early this year. I mean, the Oaks is in April. It's an actual May day, May first, Kentucky Derby. Fingers crossed that with some some people back in the grandstands, that it'll it'll weather will cooperate. Yeah, fingers crossed for some sunshine. Just to highlight how far we've come and that people are able to attend in person and hopefully enjoy, enjoy a stellar day, not get 
drowned <laughs> in the rain, <laughs> like during Justifies. Justifies um, Kentucky Derby is the only one I've ever been able to attend. And uh, basically, I had to throw away my shoes afterwards. So <laughs> it was a wonderful day, Many nonetheless. Ca- yeah. Casual, yeah, the shoes are, uh, in every, I'd like being in California, like I don't own a pair of wellies and like I always say to myself, I'm going to get some and, and I never. So yeah, it's always straight to the, the shoes of the sacrificial lamb at the end of a day like that, especially with the, with the walkover. Yeah, and then what about people actually sitting in the boxes, those boxes in front where there's no rain cover, there's nothing. People just abandoned no, their they're... boxes that they paid a lot of money for to go inside. But the, you know that, but you're, you're at the Derby and it's it's still especially once we have everyone back because that's something we obviously took for granted we never thought we would go through this we never thought there would be a kentucky derby run in september without any people um i imagine whatever the crowd is this year or in the future maybe bad weather is going to be a little bit less off-putting than it has been in years past i think you're very right there nobody can see because we're not doing video just audio i was sitting here grinning when you said you are at the kentucky derby and i thought that that is quite something that a lot of people will be looking forward to this year and hopefully i'll get the chance to return one day as well the thank you so much for an hour and a half of your time here for all the insight you've provided your poor listeners your, your poor listeners 90 minutes of this absolute pleasure pleasure is always man thanks so much there's going to be plenty of coverage about the kentucky derby to follow on the in the money media channel but this this got you started, and who better to hear from than long-standing broadcaster Lipfeet Benkaida III. So thanks once again. Of course, like I said, always stuff going on on the Indie Money Media channel. Do make sure you're listening, you've signed up, you're not missing out on anything. I'm not going to mention all the shows because uh, we're going to be here for a while, ever-growing family, and I've really enjoyed being part of the uh, Triple Crown draft together with uh, PTF, JK, Spencer and Matt. We'll see uh, who comes out on top. Not sure I did the right thing. Uh, Keep trading all my options, but it sure as was a fun experience. Check that one out on the In The Money Media channels if you haven't already. As for next week, I'm going to keep you guys in suspense, but... um, It'll be a fun episode for sure once again. Happy to have had you with me for this uh, hour and a half or so it seems. Can't wait to get back at it next week again as well. Plus, with the recent changes at um, Laurel Park due to track necessary track maintenance, we will be uh, finishing off the Laurel Park Spring Meet at Historic Pimlico. Hi-ho Pimlico. As of next week. So you catch me there. I'll uh, put on as much coverage as I can on social media as well. And of course, keep you all updated when it comes to the track conditions. Can't wait to see how that uh, turf course looks like. Goodbye. Good morning. Good night. Whatever time you're listening. And I hope you'll join me again next week. <laughs>